Now, y'all know when this beat comes on, you still rock with it. I'm smiling and gassed up because, you know, I still rock with it and I, I still get excited when I get to come on the Grio and on the podcast known as The Lesson Plan. Y'all, I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited that you are listening. And today, guys, we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about vocabulary. What you mean by vocabulary? I don't know why my voice just got that high. What you mean by vocabulary? Um, Some of my listeners came up to me and they said, you know, we don't necessarily know everything you're talking about. We don't know everything you're addressing. addressing excuse me. So whenever you're breaking down something, deconstructing or decomposing something, especially the isms that we're talking about, it's, it's good, y'all, to be on the same page, right? It's good that we are on one accord with the things that we are defining and discussing. So what I'm going to be doing today in this episode is breaking down what I know to be true in the definitions and in how I've experienced those definitions, as well as gathering some information to an incredible author, Beverly Daniel Tatum. Uh, she's a doctor in psychology. She's a psychologist, and she wrote, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? It's a national bestseller. If you have not read it, pick it up. It will open your mind to so many things. I mean, she put names to the, she defined experiences that I've lived. And again, it's super important to me with this podcast that's where that this podcast that we're all on the same page and that we we can come together to deconstruct and break down these isms that affect and traumatize and damage and cause our kids to fight through so many issues just to get a halfway decent education. And since we're talking about, you know, back again, empowering ourselves and giving our kids the education that they need, I want to shout out, you know, the late great king Nipsey Hussle. Um, I'm going to use his quote for the day. Uh, Nip said, I just believe in ownership. I believe in investing in yourself. Your foundation should be strong. Man, and that's facts. That's facts, man. We have to, in the black and brown community, and I'm going to break that down later, what I mean by that, really take and find ways to take ownership of what's what's in our lives and around us. And for me, it's taking ownership in education. It's empowering us in education. It's finding ways to hold ourselves accountable in education. Because as I've said in every episode, to think that this education system is set up for our success is just... It's a delusion, like to th- to think that this education system is set up for us to grow, is just, it's just not. And, and and let me say tell you why. I had my kids come up to me, some of my students, and say, "I'm the first woman of color they've ever had as a teacher." So since kindergarten to fifth grade, you've never had anybody who looked like you or reflected you. That alone, no matter how much the teacher had good intentions, that alone is problematic that you've never had somebody who looks or reflects you or can model what it is to say, hey, I've been through where you've been through. I've been through your experience. I've been in your hood. I still live in your hood. And you know what? 
You know what? You can do what you got to do and handle your business, and we can press through, even though it's rough. And if you feel like it's too rough, talk to me. I'll listen. Because we do have different stories and different narratives, but you know what? Some of us come from the same place regardless of that. So let's get into it, y'all. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. Especially since, you know, I just quoted Nipsey Hussle um, and in his recent passing, I just want to say I shout out all my kings. I shout you out, my black and brown kings. I love you. There are women out there, black and brown women, who love and adore you. You are amazing. You are phenomenal. That's just my little side piece. I just want you to know you are loved. I appreciate you. I appreciate you when you show up at your kid's school. I appreciate you when you discipline your child. I appreciate you when you provide your child structure. I appreciate you when you walk me from the from the gym to my car because it's around the corner. What? That gives me so much. I appreciate when you compliment me for who I am because I'm a reflection of you. So I just want to throw that out there on this podcast. So if you ever need some encouragement, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the moves you're making as you try to build and develop, especially if you're trying to build and develop in our communities. It's it's a beautiful thing, and I'm grateful for you. So let's get to these definitions, y'all. Let's get to it because the goal is, again, for us to be on the same page, right? So... The first definition I'm going to give y'all that I've come to define and what you've heard in previous podcasts is colonizer. Now, (laughs) Merriam-Webster, I just heard myself say it, that sounds crazy. Merriam-Webster says a a colonizer is a person who settles in a new region. But to me, that would be vacuous to apply that definition to the state of affairs in the U.S., Okay, that 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 just be that that just doesn't fit for me. Okay, to say that that definition, a person who settles in a new region, I don't feel like that is what happened throughout history and time in the U.S. I would rather say or apply from this is how I define it from my own experience. Right, is that this is a group that's imposing their own systems and mindsets. Um, a colonizing group is someone looking to overpower and force the indigenous population to assimilate, or if they don't assimilate, they're removed or eradicated in some capacity, genocide, in some capacity, um, a colonized mindset or a colonizer system is used to, especially now, um, because indigenous populations are present in the United States, but they are pushed uh, to the margins. If you're a person of color, you're expected to, I want to say, go with the flow. Like, you, you, you're you a subdivision of the main culture, which is predominantly white culture, right? You're a subdivision of that. You're a subculture. But you're still forced or expected to know and to operate within the white culture, which is silly if we look at the country as a salad bowl, right? That there's all different pieces of us, and if we learn to celebrate each other. So that's what I mean by a colonizer. A colonized mindset, a colonized society, a colonized um, education system is a, a colonized edu- education system is when we take a curriculum or curriculum being what our kids are taught. Let me give you a definition. A curriculum being what our kids are taught. And it's something that's not reflected of them, but it is instead 
the um, the group, the imposing group, the group from that is coming to uh, settle in the region, right? So you have a European mindset, European or and I don't want to say American. Do I want to say American? Anyways, point being, you have this mindset, white supremacist, there it is, ha-ha, figured it out, <laughs> came to me, even though I took notes, it just came back to me. You have this white supremacist mindset that looks not to reflect the population is serving. Like, it blows my mind when you can have uh, black and brown students who may be reading uh, in an English class, reading literature, and none of the authors reflect them. None of the authors represent them in any capacity or even show them a different narrative. Um, So that's problematic in itself, and that's a colonized curriculum, one that isn't reflected or trying to be diversified. And I'm not just talking about one year, one class, one grade. I mean, you can expose a, a population of students that aren't white to a variety of different authors or in a, even in your math or science class, showing them that there are people who can represent them or represent a different group. And that's important, right? You need some variety. Now, before I go on um, with talking about racism, I keep saying black and brown, and I think it's really important that I hit this, hit a note on this, because one again, one of my listeners brought brought it up. They were like, You keep saying black and brown, but what about the Asian population? And I said, oh, yes, please, let us be inclusive. Let us not exclude anybody and really understand what that means. And if you do, I'm just a sub-point to the main point, please hit me up in my emails. Hit me up on my DMs and Instagram. Don't let me be out here talking about stuff. Even if I do my research, I don't know everything. So please give me some more information. Let me know how I can share your narrative. Because when I say black and brown, my experience of black and brown is black people in America, excuse me, black people in America, African Americans, I identify as black. Um, My experience has been Afro-Latinos. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, when it comes to black and brown, there's the Asian community. There's um, Latinos from not just from the islands, but Central America or Mexico or anybody else. So when I when I say black and brown, that's my experience. But I also know when it comes to black and brown, there's you can be Indian. You can identify black and brown if you're from Filipino. If excuse me, if you're from the Philippines, there's just different different. Um, different narratives in that as well as when you're black and brown does it mean you're getting oppressed or are you the black and brown that's considered the model minority which is you know if you're indian and you're indian person of color and your family's from india are you the model minority are you supposed to be really good in math and really supposed to be this or that so when i say black and brown that's my experience but i do want to hear other people's stories i do want to hear other narratives of people of color who have experienced maybe being forced into a type being forced to experience an education I mean that it doesn't reflect you because it's really important to me that it happens in education. I want all my students to know that they are heard, their voices are important and that they have somebody or also have a curriculum that reflects them. You know, and even when I just have a a population that happens to be just black students or happens to be Latinos, I still also want them to expose them to different voices in the community that are marginalized, that 
So it's super important that if you can contact me, let me know, because it's super important to me, like I said, that this happens and that the communities of all black and brown people are heard. I'm not trying to negate anybody because I think it's super it's, it's necessary. I said super like 10 times already. It's it's really important. I keep saying it because I need to emphasize how necessary it is that our voices are heard in education. And again, black and brown to me for so far, now that I've been cor- been a corrected or addressed on it, is the Asian community, indigenous community, black people in America, um, Afro-Latinos. And when I say black people in American, America, I'm talking about those who come over even from Africa now or different countries where they're people of color. And this is how they identify now. So it's really important to me because I don't want anybody negated or not heard. Because if we transition to our other vocabulary word, um, we're going to deal with racism. And you hear me talk about that a lot. And this is when I start to quote uh, uh, Dr. Tatum and what she says, because I think what she what she what she defines as racism just hits the nail on the head, guys, hits the nails and really speaks to the colonizers mindset and the colonized curriculum. And it also addresses and speaks to how black and brown people deal with this issue. So I'm going to read a quote from uh, Dr. Tatum. She's amazing, right? She says, racism as a system in the context of the United States. So racism in the U.S. In my view, reserving the term racist only for the behaviors committed by whites in the context of a white dominated society is a way of acknowledging the ever present power differential afforded whites by the culture and institutions that make up the systems of advantage and continue to reinforce the notions of white supremacy. Ooh, that was a mouthful. That's okay. We're going to break it down. I do it all the time with my students. This is going to be fun. So what she's saying and what she's trying to let us know is that white people in the United States, when you say they're racist, it's because they're in a system that is benefiting them at all times. They're in a system that if you, it's setting them up to win. And and what I mean by that is you don't have to worry about um, sending your child to school hoping that they receive an education that is tailored or catered to them. You don't have to worry about that child experiencing some micro or macro aggression for that matter. Now, don't get me wrong. There is intersectionality in that. And what I mean by intersectionality is there's different levels to this. Yes, different levels. And I'm dropping y'all another vocabulary word that you might hear me say. Intersectionality, right? And uh, different levels as in like, okay, middle-class black woman, right? Then you have a middle-class white woman. Now, they may experience things on the same level in regards to being woman, but because this social construct of racism is in effect 
a black woman's going to feel things differently to her peer as a white woman. She just will because racism is set up to oppress a woman of color and to uplift the system set up to uplift white women or whiteness or what, however you want to define it. But that is what the reality is of, of the country that we live in. And that's the expectation of the white supremacy is to uplift that. Now, that's the intersectionality. That's how they connect. Um, those are those mixtures. So if you have, and it goes the same way within the same ethnicity, ethnicity, excuse me, if you have a a brown woman, she's still brown, right? And she's upper class, making money, making guap, okay? She's the first one in her family looking like she's going to produce generational wealth. And then you have a working class brown woman, and she's pushing through, and they're trying to make it happen for her kids. They may, they have different experiences because there's a different economic benefit there's a there's a wealth gap but at the same time because of racism in the country that is set up to benefit white people um because because of the system we've all inherited even they're still gonna may feel the same effects because they're brown you know something may happen they may experience something or in the back of the mind the reality is they may be worried like if i send my kid to school what's going to happen to them if i send my kid if i'm wealthy and i send my kid to a pwi predominantly white institution do i have to deal with the fact that they may experience be the token black or brown person all these different things cross our minds um or may cross your mind as a person of color so those are things i wanted to really give to you guys and to really talk about in regards to defining what you're going to hear from me and what you may have heard in my past episodes. Uh, let me break down another one. Social construction. Racism is something that was built by the society. Uh, racism and white, white supremacy was built by the society to oppress people of color. And it is a social construction. It's not real. You know, it's, it's not we're human beings and we have we don't really have that many genetic differences underneath the skin but it does have real consequences racism this social construction has a real consequence on us all and i really need you to understand that that happens in the school systems all the time like if you find your your child is at a decent school i promise you y'all that's not everywhere it is actually an anomaly in some cases and it's super important that you understand and when i do say this and i'm going off for dr tatum because i think she's right when i say this um white all white people are racist in the fact that there's systematic racism you know and Unfortunately, this social construction, again, racism, this this thing that divides us as people, you know, and and separates us as people and doesn't let us celebrate each other as people. You know, it puts even the white the reason why I say that white people are racist and why it puts them in those categories because they benefit from it. systematically systematically now don't get me wrong we all have prejudices um we all have we can have racial prejudices but systematically because you benefit it benefit from it because you're on this conveyor belt you know that um 
uh, white supremacy just has you going. And some people are like running with the conveyor belt and they're excited. They're receiving all these benefits. Some people are just standing there and going with it. And other people who recognize that they're in a racist system that benefits them are running away from it and trying their hardest to go against it. And I appreciate those folks who are recognizing that we're all human beings and that we have different ethnicities and cultures that can be celebrated, but rocking with white supremacy isn't a good look. And it's not a good look in our school systems and that's why it's super important and necessary that our teachers who are predominantly white women recognize that unfortunately we have to deal with this social construct and now they're in front of students and they have to recognize their biases they have to recognize that they're in a system that perpetuates them being um of quality of better And that they have to recognize that they're going into school districts and they're going in front of black and brown students and making sure that they check and address their biases and making sure they check and address um, how they operate in front of them. Because, again, you are automatically if you are a white woman in this society or a white man in society, you're already put like 10 steps ahead of everybody. Even if you are, I promise, I know it sounds crazy, even if you are struggling, that's the intersectionality. You're white and you're impoverished. But you're not black and impoverished. You're not brown and impoverished. There's a big difference. There is. There is. So I really want us to really think about that and think about the vocabulary words I threw at y'all. And if you have anything else you want me to address, um, please let me know. I'm trying to dig deeper. I'm working on digging deeper, working on working harder, making sure I give y'all the facts and information and as well as my opinion on how I think we can improve, how I think we can address our biases before we go into these school systems, how we can address the, the stereotype of the model minority for the Asian community and make sure respect we respect the student as a student and treat them holistically. Make sure we recognize that it is literally, it is literally obnoxious. I'm not going to lie. To me, this is opinion. It bothers me that you live in a suburb 40 minutes away from the school you serve. You've never been to that community. You only go to work in those four walls and then you leave? Come on, man. Son. Son. Step up. Come on. How are you really going to know that child? How are you really going to speak to those biases that you have when... Only th- the only thing that's expo- that you've been exposed to in regards to that student you have is what you've seen on TV, the media, and what that student has been able to or not share with you. So how can you really address those things if you don't come closer and get to know and be taught by the student and respect what they say and respect what they have for you? Because they have intersectionalities in themselves. If you're dealing with a black young man um, and you're his teacher, Guess what? He has to deal with being a man. He has to deal with intersectionality of being black. He has to deal, if he's LGBTQ, he has to deal with that intersectionality. If he's in poverty, he has to deal with that intersectionality. If he's light-skinned, he has to deal with that intersectionality. If he's dark-skinned, he has to deal with that intersectionality. All of these isms come and mix together, and it is your job as an educator to be a good steward over that. 
facts. It's your job as an educator to recognize your biases, whether you're black or brown or white, whatever it may be. You still have to recognize that whether a woman, man, if you identify as non-binary, whatever it may be, you as an educator need to recognize your job is not just a job, but you are a steward over your students' education. And it is an honor and a privilege to be in front of them. So you better give them 100% in your best. And if you are a person of color... And you have the opportunity to stand in front of students. Remember, you are powerful. Okay? Remember, you are powerful. Remember that you might be the only person that they see in this position for a long time. And that's unfortunately reality. Remember that you can take ownership of this. And you can take what you can learn from this uh, this uh, place of employment you're at and make sure you manipulate it and mold it to give it to the best to your students. Because you, you know better. And I'm going to be real. I feel like we as people of color know better how to code switch and deal with intersectionalities before a person in the United States, in the context of the United States, who's white has to deal with it because, because of white privilege. Let me give y'all that definition real quick. White privilege is to me, um, the opportunity to move through the United States without feeling oppressed, marginalized, um, or uh, disrespected. Or huh, this is my favorite thing about white privilege: you don't have to worry about the people you love coming back home and not being hurt or being harmed in some way, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically. That's that's to me one of the big things about white privilege. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, there's intersectionalities in that. There's different uh, different areas in that. But if you are especially um, uh, in that category, a white person, cisgender, you know, you, you're walking in a lot of different areas that um, that aren't going to hurt you in, in the blatant, obvious ways. But again, I challenge us to hold ourselves accountable, whether we're people of color or in the context of the United States, you're not, you're a white person. I really do challenge us because these kids matter so much and they're so necessary. So let's just go over those vocabulary words real quick. We talked about colonizers, colonized mindset, racism. Go replay that quote I said. Man, go get the book from Dr. Tatum, okay? We talked about intersectionality. We talked about um, black and brown. What that? How? What I've learned to identify that as, again, black American, dia- the children of the diaspora, indigenous, um, Afro-Latinos, the Asian community, different things in that area. We talked about social construction. I'm trying to give you all these vocabulary words because I know I'd be dropping this stuff and people are like, what are you talking about? You know, cultural pedagogy, uh, that's in one of my first episodes. Please look it up or just listen to the first episode, uh, all those things. And I really want to be cognizant and aware because I really think it's important that this podcast gets to people and they get to hear and know that this education system is not going to change itself. It's not going to (laughs) automatically say, hey, you know what? Let's educate these kids and let's invest in them because guess what? There's profit in failure. Believe that. Check it out. And I'm going to talk about that in some other episodes. There's profit in these schools failing. And it's not just profit in the school failing. I'm not I'm talking about like not just talking about the stipends and grants or whatever they get. There's profit in the fact that 
Y'all went industries, prison industries, look at the fact that these uh, black and brown students or imp- kids in poverty can't read or are liter- functionally illiterate, y'all. They don't know how to comprehend what they're reading because they haven't been provided and equipped with the best tools they should have, okay? They look at those children, they say, yo, let's build the prisons off of that. I bet you, that's what they say. They look at the numbers and they look at the statistics. By third or fourth grade, that 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 boy, nah, he can't read well. No, no, no. He's failing. That school district's failing on this, on those tests, those standardized tests. Yo, guess what? We're going to build these prisons on that because I bet you he'll be incarcerated because you know what? He's going to struggle through school. And we all know knowledge is power, but he ain't going to have the knowledge for it. And that's not everybody. But the fact that that happens, that's problematic. The fact that, that that the industry recognizes there's going to be profit. And I need you to think about that. The same way they kept us illiterate on plantations to keep us in chains. Think about how that correlates to now. The same way our kids are struggling to keep up with their peers. Or our kids are being stifled in ingenuity and creativity. The way our kids are being kept in a box. Okay? Think about that. And think about how that puts them in a incarcerated mindset. And I ain't just talking about real talk, four walls, reality. No, I'm talking about in general. Like, oh, just follow this, follow this, follow this, and you don't step out. There's no imagination. It's being stifled. Think about how that matters. And if you want me to be honest and look at the other side, because we're all human, right? Same thing goes for <laughs> For white community, predominantly white communities, because we're still pretty, we're a lot of really socially segregated in a lot of different ways. It's so homogenous. White communities, how much diversity do you get? How much exposure do you get to variety of ideas and thoughts and experiences? You don't. And I think that leaves everybody short-sighted. So on that note, y'all, I hope I did good on this episode. I think I did. I said super a lot. I don't know why. I just, super, super. I just feel like it was necessary to get the point across, I suppose. But I'm so grateful y'all listen. Please slide into my DMs um, and slide into my emails. You are more than welcome. You'll see that. You'll see that information, melanatedvisionary at gmail.com. I'm sorry, Melanated Visionary um, on Instagram and the lesson planned at gmail.com. And um, I'm excited to hear from y'all. I'm excited to hear your points of view. And I can't wait y'all, for y'all to check in again. Um, this is the Brio for the lesson planned.